I'm so grateful that I get to speak to you guys tonight, especially since we are talking, I'm move some things around, since we are talking about something so dear to my heart. But before we jump into that, first, I would like to share something else that's dear to my heart, a Marvel comic. <laughs> so, you guys can read that. Um, for those on listening on the podcast, it's a scene of Captain America and Spider-Man, and they're chatting, and Spider-Man in his internal monologue is just thinking, wow, I am awful. He's hurting me. Oh man, it's probably all bad stuff. Come on, Peter, don't let this be cool for once in your sad little life be remotely cool. Of course, he's not cool, because he's Peter, so. Uh, and then he says to himself, I the absolute worst. When I first saw this comic, <laughs> I had actually only seen Spidey's reaction. Someone had used it as a meme, and I related so much to Peter in that moment. <laughs> I found it hilarious. Sometime later, I got to know the actual context of the image in the, com in the uh, comic, wow, words, uh, and I felt like it related to me even more. Often social settings can make me feel very awkward, although I'm working on that and growing in that area. <laughs> I worry that I've said too much or not enough. My mind begins going a mile a minute as I worry about how other people are perceiving me, and I begin to stress myself out as I replay the interaction that I've had with someone else over and over and over and over again. It definitely does not help that I have had people tell me that I can be a bit much, that I have a big personality, that I'm outright weird, that I'm awkward, and yet that I'm also charismatic. You know, all those things jumbled into one. So naturally, I often think of myself, like Peter Parker, as the worst. <laughs> of course, being told these things by others has not helped my view of myself. And just like Spidey, I end up taking on what other people have said about me or said to me, becoming my own worst critic and thinking to myself, and you can ask yourself if any of these hit home with you, I'm too much. People are turned off by me. I must overwhelm them. I'm such a liar. If I show them this part of myself, they won't like me, so I'll just, I'll just hide that over here. I share too much. I'm coming on too strong. I'll scare them off, and that obviously won't be good for anybody. I've made too many mistakes. I can never be redeemed or seen as good enough in some people's eyes. I'm a hypocrite. I try to practice what I preach, but I know how often I fail. And it's only a matter of time before other people find out and are disappointed with me too. Hi, I'm the worst. <laughs> I know I'm not the only person who's ever felt this way, although God has been renewing my thinking, and we'll get to that. All of us have had negative thoughts about ourselves. Those thoughts may come from things others have said to us or about us. They may come from our own minds as we look at our successes and failures. They may come, um, sorry, as we compare ourselves to others or even as we compare our lives to other people's lives. Regardless of where the thoughts come from, they stick to us like a bad prosthetic and change the way we see ourselves. Change the way we perceive our identity. 
with so many voices, including our own, vying to add to this Frankenstein's monster of an identity, there's one voice, a still, small, but powerful voice, that I think we would be foolish to ignore. And the enemy in our own minds would love for us to ignore him. This semester, we've talked a lot about perspective. Well, this whole year, we've talked a lot about perspective. And while this isn't a perspective message, I still think Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 applies. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God sees us through a different lens. So, let's flip to our main text for tonight. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus, a city filled with worship to the Greek and Roman gods, so much so that it was an epicenter or hub for their worship. All that to say, Paul was not writing to a Jewish people in Ephesians. They were not raised worshiping the God of the Old Testament. They weren't worshipped raising, or wow, raised worshiping uh, God at all. It wasn't in their history. They, like us, knew what it was like to view themselves through a tainted lens. And Paul addresses this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. Wow, I think I just absolutely skipped seven. In order that in the coming age, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So in these first couple of verses, verses 1 and 2, we see that every one of us was at some point spiritually dead. Honestly, some of you may still be. Your sins, the things that separate us from God, they ruled our lives. They stole our joy, our peace, our very life. When we don't have Jesus as Lord of our lives and actively fight our natural inclinations, we're caught up in things, thoughts, and actions that not only make us spiritually dead, but they lead to physical death as well. When we follow the way of the world, all we get is a lot of conflicting opinions and ideas that lead to the same thing, death. We'll be chasing them our whole lives, and why? Because as verse 2 says, when we follow the way of the world, the ways of the world, we're following the ruler of the kingdom of the air, also known as the devil. 
Now, a lot of people downplay or overplay how much power Satan has. But what I want to tell you right now is that he is your enemy. Whether he is like your enemy, like you are actively fighting him, he is actively fighting you. Unlike what many people in the world say, the devil or Satan, he hates you. And he would rather you be caught up in the world with its problems, lies, and death than listen to Christ and be free. The scripture says he's the spirit who is at work in those who are disobedient. And this means that he isn't just at work in disobedient people, but in those who disobey God, which is every single one of us who is not actively following God. He speaks lies and he calls you things that aren't true. So it tracks that his kingdom, the world, does the same. This is where the Ephesians used to be. Some of you may still be there, dead in your transgressions and your sin. Now Paul says this. In verse 3, he says all of us. All of us. At one point lived this way. Every single one of us. We did what we want. We didn't care how it impacted others. We did what felt good or what we thought would feel good. We were irrational. We were foolish. We were risky. We thought whatever we wanted, and we didn't care if it was truth or not. And we were deserving of wrath. Our thoughts and our actions were the worst, and we know it. But we see in verses 4 and 5, even though we were the worst, legitimately the worst, God loved us. He saw us at our most awful, our most hateful, our most untruthful, our most mistake-filled, our most hypocritical, and he gave us mercy. He chose to send his son to die on a cross in our place, a death that we deserved, taking all the punishment for our sin and allowing us to live with Christ. Because as we celebrated on Sunday, happy belated Easter, <laughs> Jesus didn't stay dead. He claimed victory over death, and he invited us to live with him and claim victory over our lives as well. We don't have to live in complacency. Things can change. As verse 5 says, we had so much sin, we were dead. Yet in his mercy and by his grace, we were saved from the death of our souls. Now, he didn't die so we could be saved from our awkwardness as much as I wish that that were true. He died so we could be saved from our hatred. He died so we could be saved from our doubt. And to show us that he sees us. In verses 6 and 7, we see that as we profess faith in Jesus, we're given a new identity. Straight up. We were dead. Now we're alive. We were a liar. Now we fight for truth. We didn't care for anyone other than ourselves. Now we are a part of a family and we share the love of Christ. We, as followers of Christ, are seated with him as sons and daughters of God. And we reflect who he is in who we are. It's not because we're good enough, as verses 8 and 9 say. We're not the ones who saved us. That was all Christ and his great grace that has been given to us. 
All we have to do is believe that he, Jesus, is the Christ and let him be Lord of our lives. And then we're shown to be God's handiwork in verse 10. I looked up the definition of handiwork and I found this. The characteristic quality of a particular doer or maker. That's so interesting to me. Because to me it was just like the thing that someone made. Like something that has been made. But like the fact that it has like a defining quality of the one who made it. Is so intriguing to me. Think about that. If we are God's handiwork. That means that his mark is on us. His defining characteristics are on us. People can see that we have the qualities, the characteristics of being made by God. Our identity then should be shaped by this definition. We need to renew our thinking because our identity is new and sure in Christ. Once we were defined by what the world said about us. But as we find ourselves in relationship with Christ, we find that the world's idea of our identity has been tainted from the beginning. And we were made new and whole in Christ. The world says we're alone, but God says we're chosen and part of a family. The world says we're weird, but God says he made us beautifully and wonderfully. And he made us to be alive. The God of the universe thought you were worth dying for so he could have relationship with you and you could have relationship with him. Your identity is not outsider. It's chosen. Your identity is not forgotten. It's known. John 15, 14 through 15 says, you're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. I've called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I've made known to you. Jesus calls us his friends. That's kind of wild. (laughs) Like, honestly, that's kind of wild. One of your names is friend of God. Think about that. That is your name. Like, that is who you are. There is a caveat, however. He says we're his friends if we do what he commands. Luckily for us, we find his command a couple verses earlier. And you guys can look at that yourselves. It's like two or three verses before. To love one another as he has loved us. Sacrificially and holy. W-H-O-L-L-Y. Not H-O-L-Y. I mean, we become holy, but sacrificially and holy. That's definitely a tough command, honestly. Like, to love people sacrificially, to love them the way that Jesus loves us. That's actually really hard if you, like, you think about it. But I think that as we grow closer to him, I think that as we pursue him, that we can do it. Especially if it means being friends with Jesus. Because that means he's walking alongside us, helping us do it the whole time. He doesn't just leave us out in the dust and say, good luck, have fun, try doing what I did without me. Great job. This verse reveals two... Oh, it also strikes me that as his friends, we have access to his word. The very words of God. So this, these verses reveal two incredible things to me. Number one, we're loved. 
more than we could ever imagine. And you might not get that from these verses, but I get that from these verses. Number two, we are Jesus's friends, the creator of the world, of the universe, wants a relationship with you. You're not a nobody. Galatians 3, 26 through 28 and 4, 6 through 7, and I recommend y'all all go back and read those later, are about how we are God's children and heirs to God who get to call God our father. So not only are we his friend, but we are his children. This signals a newfound intimacy with and obedience to God. We're his children, and we're granted the status that comes with that privilege. The Bible also talks about in both Colossians 3.12 and 1 Thessalonians 1.4 that we are chosen by God. He chose us to follow him, to be his children, and to make his name known. That is freaking incredible. That's amazing. That's awesome. There are many verses in the Bible that talk about our identity. But I want to ask you, what defines your identity? What's shaped it? Where is it based? Is it in someone? Is it in a success? Is it in a failure? Is it defined by what other people have said about you? An image that you try to portray that's not exactly authentic or true? Is it in a position or a title? Is it based on how you see yourself? Or is it based in Christ and what he says about you? When it isn't based in Christ, our identity is so turbulent. <laughs> like it just changes constantly. When we aren't satisfied with who we are and what God says about us, we try to find our worth, thus shaping our identity, in so many other things and people or people. God has more than that for you. So much more than that for you. Circumstances change and people are fickle, but God does not change. What's God speaking to you? Ask him what you've been allowing to shape your identity. And as he speaks to you and tells you what is true, I want you to write it down. Put it in a place that you'll see it. Find scripture that reveals what your identity is in Christ. And put that in a place that you can remind yourself, like your mirror, your wall, your door. I believe that if we all begin to let the Holy Spirit speak to our identity, the voice of God crowding out all other voices that could possibly be whispering in our ears or yelling sometimes, then we would have a lot more joy and a lot more peace. Our identity wouldn't feel as turbulent as it may currently. I believe that when life hits us with the unexpected, even though our life may feel upside down, We'll be confident in who we are and who God is. I'm still letting God touch areas of my heart that I've been too nervous to be vulnerable with. God's still working on all of us. Within the last year, the Lord revealed to me lies that I've been believing and things that I had let shape my identity for a really, really long time. For the longest time, I genuinely believed I was too much for people. 
I felt like I scared them off or came on too strong. I also believed that as a person, I wasn't desirable. That even though I had friends and family who loved me, and they still loved me, even though I had been told by people that they appreciate me and my presence in their lives, the enemy and his lies were all my mind could replay. You're the worst. You're too much. You're the worst. They can't love you. You're the worst. They don't really want you to be here. You know that, right? Face it, Kimber. You're the worst. But God, amen? I very well might be too much for some people. But I'm not too much for God. I might have made mistakes, but it's through his grace that I am renewed, not through my own holiness. And I may still make mistakes. I very well do. I make them every day. And the world may call me a hypocrite because of it. But I'm not Jesus. I'm not perfect. And I can't expect myself to be. Now... I'm not going around making mistakes just because I can. (laughs) That's not what I'm saying. I want to pursue Jesus. And as I pursue him, I'll become more like him. But it's a process. And I can't expect myself to be perfect overnight. I say all this to say that God sees you too. Messy, shy, loud, awkward, normal, outgoing, mediocre, creative, spunky you. And it's not too late to let him in the vulnerable parts of your heart. We have to renew our thinking because our identity is sure and Christ has made us new. I believe that when we let him make us new, we'll have a confidence that doesn't make sense to the rest of the world. They'll see us, the lives we live, the confidence we have in Jesus, and they'll know there's something different about us. How you see yourself matters. Once again, circumstances change, but when they do, our identity can be sure in Christ. Again, people are fickle, but, and when they surprise us or hurt us or fail us or fail to meet our expectations, Our identity can be sure in Christ. God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he says you are not the worst. He actually says you're worth dying for. So we're going to pray. And I want to invite a couple different groups of people to come down and pray with us. So number one, maybe you found your identity in something other than Jesus. Now, I don't know what that may be, but you do. You've let something else define who you are and what you're worth. We would love to pray with you. Number two, maybe you don't know this Jesus I've been talking about. And you want him to come into your life and reveal how he sees you and who he made you to be. We would love to pray with you. And number three, maybe you have something that's just been pressing on your heart. Something you can't let go or get away from. And you don't want to leave this space without giving it to the Lord. So we would love to pray with you as well. So if I could have staff come on up um, and if we could get some music going.
Um, anyone who falls into one of those three categories can go ahead and start coming down. If you don't feel like you fall into any of those categories, I suggest praying and asking the Lord how you can continue to grow in who you are in him and write it down. You may be surprised by what he tells you. So come on, we're going to pray.